Grace to you and peace from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends in our Lord, in the year 1531, the same year that a middle-aged Martin Luther was steadily at work on his translation of the Old Testament into his native German, a fellow German by the name of Nicholas Decius was putting the finishing publishing touches on something that he'd penned. Decius was both a theologian and, it seems, a musician of sorts, a university graduate, become a monk. Decius became drawn to the teaching of Luther, and in time he too became an evangelical preacher, a Lutheran pastor. As such, his mind and his music and his message preached were never far from the Lamb of God. And so in 1531, the hymn he'd composed first appeared before the eyes of Lutheran hymn singers in a hymn book. And his hymn began with these words, Lamb of God, pure and holy. Since then, this hymn has become a favorite in the Lutheran church and in its tradition. And for many of us has grown through the years to become an old familiar friend one whose seasonal visit about this time each year is deeply meaningful to us and one which we cherish and we value. The tune, thought possibly to be based on an ancient Gregorian setting, is deeply moving. And the words, though recurrent in nature, never grow tired in our ears and on our tongues. This year, this hymn, his hymn, Decius's hymn, Lamb of God, Pure and Holy, will serve as our Lenten guide. Each week a different phrase, familiar phrase, will direct our Lenten thoughts toward the Lamb of God. Tonight, on this Ash Wednesday, we consider his first phrase, Lamb of God, pure and holy. And as is fitting, we consider therein this verse from 1 Peter, that which you heard read earlier, You were ransomed from the futility of your ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. We sang, Lamb of God, pure and holy. You may be comfortable within that phrase, pure and holy. You may not be at all. The question is, should we be? Should we of ourselves feel at home between those words pure and holy? I don't think it'll take much soul searching tonight to find that and even to admit that the words pure and holy aren't the two words perhaps that best sum up the canvas of our lives. You may shudder to look on life's canvas. Because perhaps you're ashamed of what it looks like, what it looks like to you, what it looks like to anyone who would look on it. Maybe it's, it's that one piece of work that seems to turn heads in life's art gallery. As some do, it was perhaps like some works of art in those art galleries. It was perhaps done purposely, intentionally to raise a reaction from those who know your work best, from those who love you the most. Perhaps your canvas turned out the way it did because of mistakes made, big ones, the kind that just can't be hidden from viewers under the cover of more paint. 
then again, you might look on life's canvas and as an artist surveying his own work, think a job rather well done. Not perfect, but not bad. From a distance, you might be pleased. From a distance, but take a closer look. Get right up close. Put an eye to it. Put your eye to it with magnifier. Right to the thing that you've done. Examine it. Scrutinize it and its intricacies. Study every brush stroke and every chosen color combination and application. Scrutinize it. And what do you find? Blemishes and flawed spots. Blemishes and flawed spots, not so easily, and I say not so eagerly, noticed by the eye, the eye that from a distance wants desperately to be satisfied with what's been done. An eye that naturally looks blindly on the blemishes and the flawed spots of its own life. It is ironic, I suppose, that as we hear tonight in the Gospel reading, hear Jesus expose the fraudulent show of the hypocrites, of the Pharisees, and reveal what they sought to cover up. And yet so comfortable with our own canvas are we that we too easily become the Pharisee. As we compare canvases and say, I thank you, I'm not like that man, Lord. With a blind eye to the log in our own eye, or you, or you could say blind to the blemishes on our own canvas, we find it necessary to be so often critical of another. Why is it, why do we put forth before the eyes of others our gold and our silver medal winning efforts, if not so that we can stand just a bit higher than another on the podium of public opinion? Whether intentionally done by us or simply because it's second nature to us, that's exactly what we do. When trying to justify ourselves, we try cosmetically to, to brush over, airbrush our faults. We reangle the studio lights to accentuate what we want people to see. We put, we put way back the gallery ropes, those gallery ropes that won't allow one any closer to life's canvas than we want them to be, so that we can look good from a distance. And therefore, from a distance, feel good about ourselves. Sadly, in doing so, sometimes we even convince ourselves. We convince ourselves that he who judges life's canvas will be a better pleased with our life if, if we're more deeply sorry for our faults than we think others are sorry for their faults, or more deeply sorry for my faults than I've been in the past. We become convinced that a more earnest, outward, extroverted, evangelical life translates into a God more pleased with us or a heaven more secure to us. Sometimes we'll even, sometimes, note it well, we'll even use the good for bad. When we'll even draw the slightest confidence from knowing that our door of, of public show and piety is, as Jesus said, it should be closed and ours is well closed. We're not, we're not found out on the street corner showcasing our piety. We don't say long drawn out prayers just to say them. 
In the secrecy of our heart, we hide our penitence. And we're rather proud of that little fact. The plain Ash Wednesday fact is this. There are no big blemishes before God and there are no little blemishes before God. There are just blemishes. You heard Peter recite it earlier tonight. God's expectation, his standard for life's canvas. Remember what he said? You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. Note it, he didn't say you shall try to be holy. Just like Jesus didn't say you shall try to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He said be holy, be perfect. Anything less, no matter how much less, is unholy. And that's what we are. It's what you are, not simply because it's what you've done, true enough. But firstly, it's because of who we are. An ancient church father, I think, said it well. He said, a black crow never produced a white dove. And he said, a ferocious lion never begat a gentle lamb. A sinful human, he said, never begat a sinless one. Of course, whoever said that was only echoing what God himself said. Inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, St. Paul writes in Romans, through one man, through the first man, call him the primal man. Sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, to the very first man in all, note, note it well, all offspring latent within his loins, To him and to them all, God gave deathless life. But with Eden's tragedy to Adam and Eve and all their progeny came to him, to her, to them all came that newly acquired disease, sin, and its most destructive and ugly stepchild, death. It's who we are. It's the futile way of life Peter was speaking of in today's text, the one that we have inherited from our fathers and forefathers. The canvas, you see, was fully blemished to begin. We're born into it and, and, and try as you may, futilely try as you may, we can't paint ourselves out of it. And so, friends, just like, just like, The repentant people of Jonah's Nineveh, of whom it said they repented in sackcloth and humility from the greatest of them, it says, to the least of them. So we, from the most seasoned of us or the most socially achieved, to the least and the smallest, to the youngest, newest and most infantile, each one of us needs desperately to face the uncomfortable truth of Ash Wednesday. Each of us, to the person, needs desperately to face the gravity of who we are, dust. And because of our sin, unto dust we shall return. As often as we sing them, it's hard, isn't it, to feel at home between those two words, pure and holy. And of ourselves, we shouldn't. But Nicholas Decius wouldn't have you forget the first words of his beautiful and his very biblical hymn. 
nor would I. For you see, these first words recast completely, recast things completely for the impure and the unholy like us. Remember them? Lamb of God, pure and holy. Jesus Christ, he's the pure one. He's the holy one. And that's priceless when it comes to you and your life's canvas and me and mine. Why? It's priceless because he's become for you and has done for you what lambs have long been and have long done for those in whose stead they're slain. He's become your ransom to redeem you. You can't go far in scripture without seeing a lamb. And where there's a woolly lamb, there's usually there a a woolly sacrifice. And you see it all over scripture. Certainly day after day in the Old Testament, in the morning and the afternoon, lambs were offered up. But perhaps none is as plainly predictive of God's lamb as that Passover lamb. Remember, it was to be a male. It was to be young in years, one without blemish and without spot. Its life and its blood would ransom all of those who had inherited a futile life in Egyptian servitude from their Hebrew forefathers. Remember, hard as they tried and and as many bricks as they made, they could never make enough to fill the quota. They could never make enough to repaint the portrait of their life. It took more than silver and gold. It took the blood of a spotless, unblemished, woolly lamb. Here's the wonder of it, though. What a wonder it is that even the blood of an animal that only foreshadowed the true lamb's blood, only the blood of even the blood of an animal painted on the doorposts of their dwelling in Egypt, saved them and caused death to tremble and pass over them. Friends, how much better and how much more sin and hell itself tremble at the very blood of God's only true lamb, Jesus, painted on the doorposts of your heart and reapplied at the sacrament here to you tonight. No matter what you think of your life's canvas, note this well. You were redeemed by the blood of a lamb. You too were redeemed. Lutrao, it's a Greek word that means ransomed. It means you, you were released from something by the payment price of something else. You were ransomed. Not by corruptible things so that you're released from sin's eternal futility, but rest on things that could change or decay or, or be corrupted or perish. No. Note it well, it says you were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hear it again. Think on your canvas and think on Christ's. Christ's canvas without spot, without blemish. For scripture says on the altar of his cross, God made him who knew no sin, sin for you and me, so that in him we might become without blemish and without spot. Think on your canvas, then think on Jesus without spot and blemish. And recall what scripture says, that though your sins were red as crimson, they shall be as wool. And don't think it's a coincidence 
that Isaiah said, Woe. Friends, place faith's hand and therefore your sin on the head of the Lamb that God has, has ordained as your sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Last word tonight, a final note. Our text, our sermon text tonight from 1 Peter was, of course, written by the Apostle Peter. And it was likely composed during the persecution under Roman Emperor Nero in the 60s or so A.D. It's no secret that early Christians persecuted for the faith were sent at times into the arena and unto the hungry lions, and they were sent while clothed in sheepskin, wool. It's so highly ironic that it's precisely because they were clothed in the Lamb of God that they had the courage to face that arena in any of life's arenas, knowing that come what may, their life's canvas, and therefore their eternity, had been replaced by Christ's friend, you too. You too fleeced in Christ the Lamb in baptism, you can, and indeed I tell you, you should feel completely comfortable and confident between those two words, pure and holy. Not because of who you are, never, but because of him who's clothed you, the Lamb of God, pure and holy. In his name, amen. Amen.